We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. I can start with uh, saying that, that we were pre-active at trade deadline. It just didn't seem like there were deals for us to make to improve this group. And at the end of the day, we decided to go with this group for next 28 games. Dimwitty dribble drive, baseline left to the rim, shot blocked by Caruso, but it comes down to Simmons, topside, Harris, three wow. is good, just beating the clock. Iowa, bad pass, wow. intercepted by O'Neal to Dimwitty. Dimwitty gives it up to a cutting Finney Smith with an emphatic right-handed dunk. Oh my goodness. Dimwitty three. Crossovers comes up shooting and nails a three. Are you flat out kidding me? And the Nets come away with a rebound. Who else but Cam Thomas? But the Bulls are going to suffer this defeat. Yep. 116, 105, the final here. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5 30 till 10 a.m. Like I said, you know, mediocrity and average is, is, is not okay with us. On 670, the score. The next step is what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Let's go. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. It's Friday. We made it. I don't know if we're happy about it being Friday. I don't know what we're happy about today in Chicago if you're a sports fan. I'm happy Dan Weeder is here, though, in for Mully. Good morning, Dan. David, great to see you this early in the morning. Yeah, we, we are the Take the North podcast this morning. We are more the concede the central. We're talking bulls or maybe embrace the status quo or dive into mediocrity. However you want to term it, if this were a podcast, it would not be a, a good title. Yesterday was a very, very difficult day to be a Chicago sports fan. Well, listen, you keep hearing from AK that there's 28 games left, now 27, and you're just wondering what the achievement bullseye is that he's trying to hit down the stretch of the season. They are so far out of uh, the realm of being a legitimate contending team, and yet they seem to be convincing themselves that, oh, we're just right there. You know, and well, I, I get the frustration on, on not being able to identify the path out. Well, there's frustration. It's palpable if you're a Bulls fan, and I get it. We are going to talk to Arturis Karnaschovas at 8 o'clock today. I'm looking forward to that conversation, and I think it's necessary that it is a conversation. It doesn't need to be an interrogation, but I do think that he can, he can expand on some things that he touched on during the press conference that he conducted in Brooklyn before the loss. Here's the yeah. thing that is among the most bothersome, if you're a Bulls fan, I think. It's bad enough to watch the Bulls go to the, through the deadline as we wait and hit refresh on the Twitter machine, and you wait and you wait and you wait, and you look around the league, there are only two teams that didn't make a trade yesterday, yeah. the Bulls and the Cavs. I kind of get the Cavs. Yeah. I, I kind of understand that. They're They're – they made their big move. They've got Donovan Mitchell. They've got their starting five. They're, they're more complete 
dare I say, and had a, have had a better year to this point. Anyway, so you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and then you finally get nothing. And then you get an explanation from Arturis Karnaschovas, who talked about the 27 or 28 games at that point in time. Yeah. Remaining in the season sounds more like a threat than a promise. And the team has the opportunity to go out and to make, to, to make their, their boss, and he is their ultimate boss, sound like, all right, justify the faith that he just showed in them. What do they do? Yeah. They lose to a team that just got rid of two of the top players in the NBA in the last five days, and that the Nets are – you have to look at the box score and, and hit the Google machine <laughs> for some of these guys, and the within hours of having you know, talked about how mediocrity is not acceptable, Bulls will play a mediocre level of basketball. Um, hours after saying that the three-point shot is something they can live with without – they get outscored at the from behind the arc, fifty-one to fifteen. That's crazy. Yeah, it's and crazy. Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Thomas, put him on the bus, took him to school. And <sighs> listen, you heard a couple things in the messaging yesterday. The first one being that they didn't sit on their hands. That was a, 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 an insinuated message that was emphasized in regards to we were trying to be active, we were trying to be active, we just didn't get anything done. Well, that naturally prompts the follow-up question on is the view of your roster consistent with how the rest of the the NBA world views you? Because if if you believe you're close and you're in this this buying mode, it may sort of trick you into not realizing that there's another option here, which would have been to to sell a couple players, just to try to find a way to a brighter future, I, you know, look like I, I'm never for making moves just to make moves, but you certainly have to show signs of direction. And I think what has frustrated a lot of people is it doesn't feel like there is a tangible direction or an understanding of who they actually are this deep I, into a year. I think asking them or expecting the bulls to break up the big three at the deadline was a big ask. Sure. I, I get why people wanted to go in that direction, but I also understand why they didn't. I have a better time and easier time understanding that reluctance than I do not adding to the mix. You don't have a, a three-point shooter whose job it is to space the floor. That is one of your biggest weaknesses, your most obvious flaws in the way this roster was constructed. And they didn't add. They talked about being you know, mediocre, and they didn't do anything to change the narrative or the reality on this roster. So I think that's what's most frustrating for me because you could defend maybe keeping the core in place if you do have plans, like them or not, to re-sign Nikola Vucevic in the offseason, pending free agent. But I think it's harder to defend embracing the status quo when you don't have a modern NBA roster and you're not athletic enough and you don't shoot well enough to compete in an Eastern Conference that you think is now more up for grabs, great. Do something that reflects that reality and be as bold as you were when you got here, AK. That's the one thing I think is frustrating from the outside looking in. Two things to that. The first one being, you know, what is the Eastern Conference open to do? You know, where are you trying to reach? And I said to you before the show that there are some parallels here to the 2020 Bears who convinced themselves by sneaking a seventh seed playoff berth with an 8-8 eight and eight record that they were close, and they weren't. And and we saw how that unfolded in, in the months and years that followed that. With the Bulls, I think, you know, look, like, great. Find your way into the playoffs. Try to win a game or two. Delude yourself into believing that you can win a series. You're not close, and you feel stuck, and you've got to find ways to get unstuck. And so the second point to that is when you're taking the forward-looking view, and you realize the resources that you have to improve this team going beyond this year, your first-round draft pick is probably not yours. You're, right. you're a, a franchise that, is, as Casey Johnson pointed out, has not been willing to pay the luxury tax. So what are, what are the methods yep. to improving your team beyond this, and how do you reconcile that with, with who you are now and where you want to go? Up until yesterday, I believe the method, as you referred to it, or maybe the confidence that things would get better, that existed because there was a trust level that this regime and front office 
still had, even though it's been a tough season, even though it's been a tough slog of a year and they have been underachieving and looking like the basketball version of the White Sox, there was a inherent, I think, belief that Arturis Karnaschovas in his front office would get something done, would take a step to move in the right direction. What happened yesterday, I hope, isn't lasting in that there was a loss of confidence. There was a You talk about embracing the status quo. That's what the Bulls did as a franchise with this roster. I wonder if the fan base uh, was not necessarily embracing the status quo, but returning to what feels like normal, going back to the Gar Pax days of doubting and questioning everything. Yes. Because now, I think in the final 27 games into this offseason, Bulls fans are going to question everything. Well, that's the other parallel to the Chicago Bears, is you're a quarter century now in to sustained mediocrity. You haven't been able to attain anything that has built momentum over years and years and years, and you're a, a, a franchise that has won, what, five playoff series since Michael departed? In 25 years since Michael Jordan left and you know posed with that final jumper to beat the Jazz, the Bulls have won five playoff series, and they haven't won one, Dan, since 2015. Right. So think, think of the think of this landscape that we're sitting in with with, the, with this so easy to see from the outside mediocrity uh, and, and the inability from inside to to figure out what the path out is. I think it was Julia Poe, my colleague at the Tribune, who had from the trade deadline last year until yesterday they've won thirty eight games. So yeah, that's below five hundred. It's a pretty big sample size. That's a lot of mediocrity. It's a pretty big sample size at this point to know who you are and what your potential actually is. And I think it's just so easy in sports in general, professional sports, whatever it is, to convince yourself that, that you're, oh, if we could just finish those three or four games, all of a sudden we're right there. Well, well, no, it's like, you know, I'm a, a 12 handicap on the golf course for a reason. I can wow. stand on the tee of... That's impressive. Uh, it's not. I can stand on the tee of every single hole and be capable of making par, but at the end of the day, when, when I shoot 90, it tells you exactly who I am, right? And that, that, that's what you're seeing here, and they've just got to, I think, come to grips with what's in the mirror. Well, I wonder if they are, and I, I wondered it even more you know, on Thursday afternoon after hearing from Arturis Karnaschovas, who did meet with reporters before the game against the Nets, and in fairness, we need to hear how he explained the Bulls' inactivity and this is part of what he had to say i think i can start with uh, saying that that we were pretty active at trade deadline it just didn't seem like there were deals for us to make um to improve this group and at the end of the day we decided to go with this group for next 28 games the next stage for us now that we pass the trade deadline is to evaluate this group next 28 games um like I said, you know, mediocrity and average is, is, is not okay with us. Um, but the next step is what's going to happen for the rest of the season and then how we can address, you know, during the draft and free agency, uh, the shortcomings. L- looking at the, you know, in return and what we had to give up to, to improve the team, we thought that it was prudent to stick to this uh, group for the next 28 games. So the first thing that stands out to me is that when you hear executives talk, nobody disputes or can challenge really how busy they've been, how busy they were, how many calls they took, how many trades they nearly made, how active, yeah. in his words, they were. So I get, I, I get that, and I, I want to respect the fact that every executive up until the deadline is going to be somebody who's on the phone a lot. I mean, all but two teams made trades yesterday. Yeah. The NBA trade deadline hijacked the Super Bowl news cycle, okay? <laughs> Which is good. Well, in a way. I, I think they should move it, but that's another story. But here's the thing that, that triggered me yesterday. When you are active, it implies progress. Because I think that we learned a long time ago, whether it was from Jerry Angelo's uh, lips or whoever it was that uttered it, do not confuse activity with accomplishment. Correct. The Bulls were very active. They didn't accomplish a thing. Yep. They ran in place. Some people could argue that they took a step backward. That's the frustrating aspect of hearing somebody who has earned our respect since arriving in 2020 during the pandemic and coming in and saying all the right things and making some moves that really looked like the right moves. But yesterday, AK, I think, 
did not help himself because he did not help his team. Perhaps we'll have to pry a little bit later in the morning, but I'm curious to know what he learned about his team from all the activity that he went through, all the calls you make, all the things you hear from uh, executives around the league. How do they view your players? How do they value your players? What are things that, that are illuminated about your current roster, individual pieces one at a time, and then collectively that you can use to be informed in, in trying to figure out how to improve it going forward? He's very forward in saying mediocrity and, and being average is not acceptable. Well, now prove it. You know, Go out and, and, and show people that you can be more than that and do it with action, not words. Well, that's a good point. I also wonder about the assumption that we made, many of us did, that when you had a regime change, that the emphasis was going to be on player development. Okay, last night, not a good example. Last night, Patrick Williams <laughs> sat the last 20 minutes. This is your fourth overall pick. This is a guy that you didn't want to trade for whatever reason that they won't share with us, I'm sure. But if he was deemed somewhat untouchable, what's he doing stapled to the bench for the last 20 minutes of a game you're underachieving as a team? Where's that player development? And oh, by the way, it's February, it's mid February. You've got 27 games left. You drafted Daylon Terry. Where's he been? And I, do, I know where they're playing the, the G League Windy City Bulls games. Yeah. I watch those every now and then. I love Mark Schanowski. <laughs> but Daylon Terry should be doing something for the Bulls as a rookie when you have Daylon Terry falling short, when you have Patrick Williams falling short. I start to wonder about this organization's ability to develop young talent. That's why I go back to the question on what is your achievement bullseye for the rest of this year? What are you trying to accomplish? And when you don't have a direct vision of what that is, or maybe it's just a vision that that is, you know, we're trying to squeeze our way up to the seventh seed in the East, maybe get up to the sixth seed, and now all of a sudden you're doing that at the expense of, of young player development, you're losing the potential to identify the springboard for the future in some ways. And so they, they've got to figure that out. I, I'm really curious to hear what, you know, you heard 28 games, 28 games, 28 games. We're going to see how these next 28 games yeah. go. What are you looking for? What are you trying to see? What would be a best-case scenario? What's a realistic scenario down the stretch of the season to give you a better understanding of, of who your team is and where you need to go? Well, because you can't get into the offseason and not have clear direction. All, this, all that we know is that they think that they can make the playoffs, that they think they're Fantastic. going to – be able to get to the postseason. <laughs> However the method is, whether it's a play-in or whether they make it as the sixth or seventh seed, whatever the case may be, getting a lot of reaction on the text line. This tells me because people are motivated between 5.30 and 6 o'clock on a Friday morning after what the Bulls just did last night in Brooklyn and what they didn't do at the trade deadline. People are triggered. Now, the question I have moving forward big picture-wise, will fans ultimately respond with the anger they might feel today, or eventually, how quickly does that turn to apathy? Well, right, and indifference, right? And, and then just the here-we-are-again feeling. And that's why I say, you, you know, <laughs> some of these parallels to, to you know, a three-decade cycle with the, with the Bears are, are, are too eerie for me because you just have these situations where a team gets stuck, that's the operative word in this situation, and then they can't get themselves unstuck. And getting yourself unstuck is one of the most uh, underrated uh, feats and, and skills in, in uh, professional sports unstuck, when you're managing it. getting things unstuck? Yeah, just getting yourself unstuck. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. I, I feel like in Chicago, and I know th this is a great job, I, I love talking to people and and putting things trying to put things make sense of things and put them in perspective on a regular basis but if I was thinking about this last night if I were just a a fan of Chicago sports and not somebody who whose job it was to to pay attention to them all yeah. the time every yeah. sport you know 24 7 365 I would be worn out I would be worn out as a Chicago sports fan. You'd find better things to do with your time, right? Look around. <laughs> the, the, the Bulls are the White Sox. Yeah. It just, it's February, not July. The Bears and the Blackhawks are the worst teams in their respective leagues. The worst. The Bears have the number one overall pick because they stunk out loud. Yes, they did. For 17 games. The Hawks, eh, look away. I know Connor Bedard might be on the way. but And the Cubs... The Cubs had finished 39-31, to 31 and we wanted to have another parade. I get it because everything's relative. 
I would be worn out. And I think that they get to the point where you you understand the cynical response like fans on social media last night, like Charles Barkley, who you know, I think spoke on behalf and, and he, he represented the, the Bulls fan base when he addressed the Bulls and where they are and where they're headed at halftime of the Bulls-Nets game last night. Are these teams making the playoffs? What was your answer, Chicago and Brooklyn? Well, Chicago's embarrassing. I have zero idea what they're doing. They should have, I told you a month ago, they should have blown, two months ago, they should have blown that team up. They're losing to this team, which is awful. And you're like, what are the Bulls doing? Well, so what was the answer? Who's making the playoffs? Well, I thought the Bulls were going, well, the Bulls should make His the playoffs. <laughs> I get it. I, I don't know that blowing it up would have been the right response, but it, it bears repeating all morning long because everybody's going to have their take about what should have happened. I would have understood blowing it up. I would have understood that, that impulsive reaction, but I think it might have been impulsive. I just wish they would have countered that inactivity without blowing up with a move that would have made them better. I was okay Anything. with them being buyers. Anything, right? Yeah. Like even even if it's not something that steals headlines or, or or gets on the crawl right away, right? You just do something that shows that you are truly serious about pursuing improvement. And and you make the point about fan apathy. It's it's an investment to be a fan. It's an investment that requires a lot in this town, given the state of all the, the professional franchises we have here. And when the return on investment isn't there, there is it, it is exasperating. It is aggravating. And it's, it, it's not just the investment of money. No, it's, it's time. I'm talking emotion. It's emotion. And, uh, yes, for sure. It's, it's less money. It, yeah, it, it's, it's more about the emotional investment and, and just, you know, um, just getting stomped on repeatedly. So we have our tourist car show us at 8 o'clock. We are going to talk about things other than the Bulls disappointing us last night in action and yesterday afternoon with an inactivity. Devin Hester didn't get into the Hall of Fame in the class of 2023, which was perfectly tailored for <laughs> number 23, but he was snubbed, dare I say. Is that the right verb, Dan? Probably. It's probably the right verb, but there's more nuance to this. Listen, like I was all for the poetic storyline of class of 23. Yeah, we talked about, you know, great. old school newspaper guys. You could picture the front page of, of the induction with the, you know, the class of, and then you just have a picture of Devin with his jersey prominent. But there's complications in the Pro Football Hall of Fame process that I think a lot of the outside world doesn't really know. And it's just the idea that, yes, we had our list of 15 Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists, but only five of those guys have a yes or no vote taken on them. And when you don't get through the ropes to even have that yes or no vote taken, it can be um, misleading that, that the voters don't believe in Devin Hester. That's not true from everyone that I talk to. There are a lot of people on that committee that, that I know the bigger problem is that he's just down the pecking order a little bit with the names that are on this list. And this year we had two first timers and Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas, who the committee felt those guys were first ballot guys. I get that. And they pushed them through. So I, then that left you with three spots for yeah. 13 guys. Ronde Barber. That gets complicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, 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 listen. Zach Thomas. We'll talk about that. It, it, shrugs. It's shrugs. A, maybe a few shrugs. I think Devin Hester belongs. I hope he gets there eventually. We will discuss some of the. Nuance, as you say, that is involved in him not getting in this time around. It's the Friday of Super Bowl week, too, so there's a lot to discuss in terms of the game, in terms of our predictions, in terms of what to take away from this week. Justin Fields made the rounds. We will yeah, get to all of that. He was very vocal and confident, and, and he was active. He was more active than the Bulls on Thursday because he was <laughs> talking to everybody uh, on Radio Row. And the NFL honors uh, were last night. That was fun to watch. If you stayed up late to watch that, you saw and heard K Kelly Clarkson yeah, I was sing. Say, kudos to Kelly Clarkson. She did a good job she overall. Was good. Yeah, I like Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I uh, I think she did a nice job. I don't think I would have given the microphone to George Kittle again. <laughs> he, I'm a, I'm always up for giving the mic I, to George Kittle. You never know. He's entertaining, but he can't sing. You know, no doubt. No and doubt. that was you know, maybe just a little bit too long. They hung with that one. <laughs> but we will talk about all of that. There's some. Uh, there's some hockey rumors, and there was a big trade to the NHL. We'll get to that as well. We'll get to it all. Dan Weeder is in for Mully. The pick six is next on Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. After the Bulls stood pat at trade deadline, Arturis Kornashovas said he has faith in his inconsistent team and could play better over the final 28 games. Which was more frustrating, the Bulls' inactivity or the explanation? The easy answer is both because based on the reaction already this morning, I think that the explanation triggered people as much as the Bulls doing nothing. But I'm always going to weigh actions or in this case, inaction, heavier than words. The words, the explanation, what they say, how they justify it, I think that this is another example of when you have an executive that doesn't speak often, what he says when he does speak, those those words tend to be parsed, maybe overanalyzed, and magnified. And they should be. Everyone should hold be held accountable for what they say. But to me... It was definitely more frustrating, more telling what they didn't do by their inability to improve this team, short or long term. You have to pick a lane, one or the other, I felt like, going into this trade deadline where every team but two, the Bulls and the Cavs, made a move. And you were in the midst of a league that is not exactly taking a cautious or conservative approach to change. The Nets in the, has have changed directions with their franchise twice in the last six days after having another seismic offseason. This is the NBA. This is the way that things are done. I don't know that uh, you trade five second-round draft picks for a role player. So I think the Bulls' inactivity was more frustrating and, frankly, harder to understand. Well, after seeing what happened on the court, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the inactivity because how you think this team can do something in the postseason and then play the way they played against a dismantled Nets team doesn't make any sense at all. I don't mind the the explanation. We're going to get more explanation from AK at 8 o'clock right here with you guys. But the the trading something just for the sake of trading something didn't do much for me. Everybody, oh, they're one of two teams that didn't trade anybody. God, if you weren't moving one of the big three, then you really weren't doing anything. Okay, so what they what they've decided to do? They also said, and here's where it, it, it's a it's a trade coming in 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 the next four or five days that they're going to be active in the market of guys that get bought out. That's where they're going to be active, and that's a trade without giving anything up. And then you're going to, and you can, you know, listen. That's a good reaction from you if you're watching on Twitch, and I encourage you to, to watch us on Twitch. But again, I need a name. I, I need a. This is the deal that I wanted the Bulls to make. Not just we should have traded a guy just for the sake of trading a guy. I'm with you both. It's uh, the inaction, winning by uh, photo finish over the messaging and, and the explanation of it yesterday because yesterday was a lot about messaging and the messaging was not encouraging, but they have time to massage that. They can go forward now and try to set a new vision and explain what their vision is and try to give you a better understanding of, of why things went the way they did. They don't have a chance anymore to make deals. They don't have a chance to improve their roster in a, in a majorly significant way. And to Dustin's point, that game last night should tell you everything about the kind of team you have and, and, and the level of success that it can realistically expect down the stretch of the season. I, I would love to have AK on Truth Serum and say with all the activity that you've alluded to, you know, if you had gotten done what you tried to get done, how would we have been reacting to that? You know, and it would be really interesting to know some of the things that they really wanted to do that they didn't get done and then figure out where you go from there. But but right now, it's just, a, again, it's a slog, and it's a team that's stuck. Hold on, though. I want to address real quickly what Dustin's saying. You want a name. You want a name. You want a name. Look, do you think that in Boston they were sitting there yesterday morning or Wednesday morning saying, you know what, we, we need Mike Muscala. We need Mike Muscala on the team. No, you know why? Because what the Celtics did was they went out and they traded for him because their executives scout the league. They know the names that you need on your roster. So don't give me this. I need a name. The Bulls got outscored by 11 points last night. They got outshot by 12 from the behind the arc. I don't know. Do the math. 
They could have used a three-point shooter. Someone out there was ready to come to Chicago to shoot the three for the Bulls. We've been banging that drum for forever, the lack of three-point shooting. And what? And it, this goes back to Gar Paxson. I mean, Paxson said something like, we don't believe in the three. You make more twos. You know, and just again, for Billy Donovan, if they make 10 threes and you make no threes, that means you're down 30 to nothing, not 15 or 20 points. Just easy math. I know I'm public school educated. Thank you. <laughs> Did I answer your question? That's Devin Hester, and Devin Hester fell short, getting enough votes for Hall of Fame induction for the second year. Huge disappointment for Hester and Bears fans everywhere. Are you starting to wonder if it's going to happen for Hester, or is this all part of a process more complicated than it needs to be? To the first part of that question, no. I am not starting to to wonder or worry that it's ever going to happen. The second part of that question is, yes, this is a process a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. I think if you watched Devin Hester, you understand what sets him apart as a Hall of Fame finalist, that you understand that he was not only great, but he was one of the best to ever do it, probably the best to ever do it at the position he played. You can get stuck in semantics and and, and nuance about whether he played a big enough role and whether specialists deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But the other part that, that Devin Hester always mastered was the signature moment. He had so many of them, starting with his first game, as a rookie, as a bear, and continuing on through his entire career. And so you see him, and he passes the eye test, and you talk to anyone that played with him or against him or coached with him or against him, and they identify him as a Hall of Famer. You talk to people on the committee, and they say, he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to get in eventually. The complication here is in a process that only allows five people through the ropes each year. And so you may have a 49-member selection committee that, that if they had taken a vote Two years ago would have said 80% of them would have said, yes, he's in and he gets through, but you can only let five through a year. And so he gets stuck outside of that yes or no vote. And now you just kind of have to wait for the when, not if. And and it's just a it's a frustrating and patience testing waiting game. But it is something that will eventually happen. I think I'm most frustrated by that very good answer to the question. Um, It's ridiculous. I get the difference between a first ballot Hall of Famer and then the rest of the Hall of Famers, but Devin Hester is not going to return another punt or a kickoff ever again. Yep. So he's not, his resume is his resume. It's not get, so I, I just don't understand, you know, the guys that got in last night, are, are any of them other than Daryl Revis scream first ballot Hall of Famers? Jo- Joe Thomas. Joe I mean, Thomas. Yeah, Joe, Joe Thomas okay. was, played yeah, on a bad you, team. You, okay, you can, Tom Thayer wasn't impressed. Right, I respect me, that. You can but, sell me on Joe Thomas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, I'm, oversight by me. Joe Thomas. So that's two. And I'm good with DeMarcus Ware. You know, he was in Devin's initial uh, eligibility class a year ago. So it's year two for him. He got Uh, through. He he knows the head. Barber and and Zach Thomas, to me, they're they're shrug guys to me. They were really good players. I've always wanted my Hall of Fame to be uh, better than that. They could have waited. They could have waited a year. Again, like I said, you know, I, I thought it would be ridiculous if he didn't get in last night. And I think it's still ridiculous this morning that he hasn't gotten in. Thank you, Jeff Joniak's brother. Absolutely. I know that was a nod to Jeff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why these Halls of Fame put these caps on classes. I understand that, you know, and I'm a, a baseball voter, and I get that after every year I post it, we talk about it. It's like, well, he doesn't look like a Hall of Famer because I didn't think of Scott Rowland as a Hall of Famer when I saw him play. I, I get that, but, you know, there should be standards. There are standards. But Devin Hester, when you think of him, you think Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't know that I have the same reaction for Rondé Barber. I don't know that I have the same immediate reaction to Zach Thomas. Due respect to their credentials. They are deserving. They're not more deserving to me, and this isn't a provincial point of view. This is a big picture point of view. They're not more deserving than Devin Hester. And this notion that he has to wait because of the process, to me, it underscores why the process needs to be looked at. Only five guys from every class, to me, is not is, is not justification for that any longer. We need to think bigger. We need to maybe change it because he belongs in Canton. He'll get there one day. I think he had to wait too long whenever that day arrives. I'm glad we got four more hours because I've got more to say on this later in the show. <laughs> Start with question. In one of his several interviews on Media Row Thursday, Justin Fields acknowledged the need to improve his accuracy. Some of it's on me. You know, I think I missed a lot of you know easy completions this year, so I think it's just me fixing some mechanics up and me getting better just with the gimmies, the short throws, the bubble alerts, the screens, and stuff like that. And you know, once you start hitting those, that completion percentage just 
shoots up. Uh, you get eight to ten free completions each game, and I mean, you kind of see the passing game take off from there. So, uh, just gonna be just fine with the receivers, and you know, kind of you know, Chase and guys like that, you know, who came midseason who didn't get a chance in training camp to really learn the offense. So, definitely gonna get together with him and kind of start that working period. Is the first step in fixing a problem like this admitting it? How much stock do you put in Fields sounding like someone who recognizes what he needs to do to improve? Certainly hitting the right notes. He's got the right tone and approach. Nice job, Jarrett Payton, getting Justin Fields to open up in a way that he sounded relaxed, he sounded committed, and he sounded like you want your franchise quarterback to sound. He wasn't good on the short passes. He was. He had moments where he did struggle, and you wonder, like, wow, I, he, he's better at deep balls than he is at side screens, and I don't know how that makes any sense, but he did speak the part like a guy that – is serious about improvement. He knows what's ahead of him, and I think he understands how to get there. This is the way that you want him to talk about his own personal growth. I think this is the leader you want on your team, and I think this is much better rhetoric than any of the nonsense about, well, should they trade Justin <laughs> Fields? How do you feel about that, Justin? No, they shouldn't trade Justin Fields. They should rely on him to improve in a way that he sounds committed to improving. I think it was great. I, I do. I'm a big believer. The first part in fixing something is admitting that you have a problem or a shortcoming. So I, I thought he was excellent. I, I, I enjoyed all the different interviews I heard him conduct yesterday. Um, I, I'm shocked, though. I mean, I, I'm more curious from you two guys, and maybe it's something we talk about later. But I mean, are you surprised Fields was out there, put himself out? I mean, that's not the Bears didn't put him out there. You know, that's that's Justin Fields and his people thinking that he should be out there and, and, and in front of and being talked about because there's all this speculation like trade the guy. Does he value? He's a brand one. I, I, I like him embracing that. He's a brand. He needs to be. Where I, he I was love yesterday. that he was out there. I yeah. just I, I mean, if if you would have said, do you think we'll hear from Justin Fields at Radio Row? <laughs> I would have gave a no shot to that. I mean, no, no way that he would be out there because that's not that's not him. He's promoting an energy drink, which is part of the reason that he went through the uh, yeah. through the gamut there on Radio Row. But look, like with Justin, you know, accuracy is something he needs to sharpen, but it's not the top item on my improvement checklist for him this offseason. The biggest thing for Justin to, to be on the escalator to the next level comes in more quickly um, identifying what he's seeing, being comfortable in the pocket, and being able to take what he is seeing and apply the answers quickly and in a way that gets production. I think when you hear him talk with numbers of people down in Arizona about one of the things that he really wants to focus on going forward, it's being calm amid chaos. He's used that phrase himself uh, numerous times over the last couple of months, and he's surrounded by a coaching staff who has drilled into him talking points that you're hearing him recite, which is very promising to, to your original question because it shows not only a, a, a willingness to be coached, but it shows a self-awareness that I think gives Justin an absolute opening to make the most of his development in 2023 and beyond. The dude owns it. He owns all of it. And that's everything from, from the improvement checklist to being the brand, to being QB1, to understanding every single part of that job and responsibility. And so to that end, all of these things combined uh, encourage me about, about the direction Justin plans to take himself in the next you know five, six months before we get to training camp. It's an excellent question. Voice of Joe Fortenbaugh, he's an excellent guy, and he'll be here at 744. Get that pencil and paper out. He'll have all the thoughts on big game 57. So how would you describe a Super Bowl in Arizona that's largely been controversy-free? Can you read anything into either team's focus level and whether or not it will be a factor? Can you offer one player on each side who has been largely overlooked this week but will have a big impact on the outcome? So we'll get into this in a bit, but I've flipped my prediction. For oh, Sunday. my. And, and there will I, be no flipping. And I'll explain why okay. in, in detail in a little while. You're fitting right in. But some of this relates to this question, and it's the idea that the comfort level of the Chiefs having been here before more recently. Obviously, the Eagles have a handful of guys who were part of that uh, storybook run uh, several years back. But the, but the Chiefs know the extravaganza they know how to find sort of comfort in the storm that is Super Bowl week leading up to the game and I think that does provide 
advantages. Now, is it enough to swing the result? I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot here for um, you know a new coach in Nick Sirianna to to, to, to manage and, and figure out which way he wants to, to to keep guys in the right frame of mind leading up to Sunday. As far as guys from each team that could could swing this game that we haven't been talking about for the Eagles, I'm going to go with CJ Gardner. CJ Gardner Johnson. Oh my! He's who a, obviously he's in Chicago, we know he, yeah. he he's an instigator. Yep. He's a a, a fireplug. He's a, a guy that that does a lot of different things. And he intrigues me because there's going to be opportunities within this game where he's probably going to be responsible for trying to limit Travis Kelsey, which is a big X factor in deciding this game. For the Chiefs, it may be an obvious one. Chris Jones has obviously been an engine on that defense and probably doesn't get the amount of claim he deserves. The other guy I would go with for the Chiefs would be uh, their center, Creed Humphrey, who's going to be largely responsible for controlling an Eagles defense that is absolutely relentless and comes from everywhere. I've been fortunate to cover I think eight Super Bowls and this one from Chicago anyway has been a snooze fest like, Matt Nagy baby there's been nothing I mean that, that honestly that that might have been for us especially the most interesting part but nobody said anything we haven't even heard about like somebody leaving a big tip or a bad tip at a restaurant we haven't heard about like the offensive lineman going out on Tuesday night and drinking out all the beer at some local establishment or eating every piece of prime rib that was available in downtown Phoenix. We've heard nothing. I mean, there, there has been you know, yesterday. It was that um, Deion Sanders, you know, put on a show on radio row. That was like the buzz and, and drawing attention to it's Colorado. A, it's a football. pretty sleepy territory out there in the desert. Yeah. I've only been out there twice. Yeah, I guess it's where you I, go just, to relax, decompress. Yeah, it's just been, it's just been very, it's sedate. very sedate so far. Maybe everybody's at a spa or you know, maybe everybody's in a darkness retreat like our guy uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> but two guys that I don't feel have been talked about, and these aren't guys like off the radar or anything, but I don't think we've heard enough about Miles Sanders and Isaiah Pacheco this week. Okay, I mean, that's good. And they're not under the – I mean, they're the starting running backs for the two teams, but have you heard their names no. talked about this week? Not at all. It's all about the coaches – the, the, the Kelsey brothers and obviously the quarterbacks. That's it. I was going to say Miles Sanders, but I'm going to go with Miles Sanders' backup or maybe his, his dual threat in the backfield, Kenneth Gainwell, who has the best name any running back could want. <laughs> Kenneth Gainwell is going to be a name that people chuckle at Sunday, the casual sports fan. <laughs> Isn't he aptly named? I'd love to have that on the back of my jersey. And I think he's going to be an impact guy because he's better than you think. And that offense is going to get it done, I think, on the ground. They're not going to have to rely on the pass. If they do, I think the other name you're going to hear that maybe we haven't heard a lot this week on the Chiefs defense, we're going to hear Chris Jones, we're going to hear uh, Frank Clark, we're going to hear about even our guy from Purdue, Karloftis, because he has had a terrific rookie year. Trent McDuffie, though, the cornerback for the Chiefs, is somebody that could, if this defense pulls off what I think would be an upset because I do think we'll get to our predictions in a bit, but the it will be because something in the passing game for the Eagles has gone terribly wrong. Trent McDuffie has jumped jumped a route here or there and neutralized the Eagles wide receiving core. So I think that would be um, my two choices in a, in a week that has been sleepy and sedate and all those things. For, for, for you guys who are sleeping, I would just say that we got about 59 hours until kickoff and Barrett Robinson, Eugene Robinson said, stick with us. You never know what can happen on the weekend before the game. <laughs> okay, next question. Uh, that's Ozzie Gian. Baseball's almost here, guys, with the World Baseball Classic announcing the rosters. Local players, including four White Sox stars whose durability last year was an issue, Lynn Anderson, playing for Team USA, and Moncada and Robert playing for Team Cuba. Should the Sox be proud of their involvement or a little sheepish? And in fairness, the Cubs, say Suzuki, is on Team Japan, and they've got a lot of other minor leaguers who are involved, and there are other prospects, but I think these are the major leaguers that I think raise your eyebrows a little bit or get your attention. Don't want to pick on the Sox. I think you're always proud about having players represent their countries respectively, and so... It's an honor for Yohan Mankata and Luis Robert. It's an honor for Tim Anderson and Lance Lynn and Kendall Graveman, who's going to be in the bullpen. I don't worry necessarily about Kendall Graveman as much as I would if I'm a Sox fan, if I'm a Sox executive, about the other guys. Yohan Mankata and Luis Robert need to stay healthy. I don't know what kind of shape they're in. I don't know that I want them finding out representing Team Cuba. I want them in my camp. I want them 
I want to control their environment, their activity, knowing what we have seen about their injury uh, capability in the past. Same with Lance Lynn. If he's a guy that you're worried about innings, I don't know that I want him on a 65-pitch count even for Team USA. Tim Anderson coming off an injury. I'm less concerned about Tim Anderson maybe than I am the other guys I mentioned. He has been injured on occasion. I don't know if it's related to wear and tear, but I think I know more about his makeup. I know more about Tim Anderson than the other guys. But if I'm Rakan, I'm proud of this, but I am concerned because I need these guys at 100% to get where we want to go. Sheepish. I mean, and and if, like, Moncada and Robert want to, like, escape back to Cuba, that you know, go <laughs> ahead, right? Go ahead and go back. Um Lance Lynn, Tim Anderson, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I always like guys playing for the national teams, but I got to be honest, I'm glad there's no Cubs really of, of merit playing for the, nat, their, the Team USA. Suzuki. Yeah, but, you know, Suzuki, again, like if, if I have another issue, like if he has a pinky issue and misses, and misses right. six Brennan weeks Brennan Davis, again, come on down. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy about that. I, I'm not a big world baseball classic guy. I, I mean, maybe maybe pause the season for a week or something. I, I just, I, it just seems like weird timing, weird. The whole uh, guys that their fifth cousin was from Italy and they play for Team <laughs> Italy. It, it, the connections aren't there. It's Stroman also for, uh, playing for Puerto Rico. I'm sorry I missed that one. Again, you said stars. <laughs> Why don't you come to CubsCon and not go to the World Baseball Classic? <laughs> Stro. Dustin, I'm with you on the timing of this, and it's obviously a little bit awkward, but I'm hitting the proud button on this one because I think it is an opportunity for a handful of White Sox players to go generate a little momentum, to go have fun, to go get some energy, to to, to bring something uh, that can generate a spark for a team that obviously is going to need to create some sparks going into a season that uh, a, a lot of people are, I guess, in a friendly way to put it, curious to see which direction it goes. Obviously, I, I, I share your... Uh, un- I understand your anxiety, David, uh, with Moncada and, and Robert. Uh, I just say, you know, go do it. G- get the energy, get the momentum, have a good time with it, see what you can do, and and, and then, you know, obviously spring training and, and everything else that follows will will demand a lot over the months to come. Uh, but just go see what you can what you can squeeze out of it, and and don't operate from a, a standpoint of worry. I'm not talking necessarily about a pick six or something like that. There's the voice of Brad Biggs. Biggs time, 7 o'clock this morning. Presumed to be the most likely team interested in Patrick Kane. The New York Rangers made a surprise move for trading Blues star Vladimir Toshenko, giving up a first and a fourth round pick. Would that be enough for the Hawks to get for Kane? Does that mean Kane's staying? At this point, I'd take a one and a four. Patrick Kane's still here. I mean, I feel like we've been in this 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 long, slow fizzle to the end of the the Kane Taze era, and it's been almost painful to to kind of see that unfold in a season that has had so little success on the ice, and you're just you're just kind of waiting for it to be finally over, right? And and, and so at this point, you know, yeah, take take the one and the four, turn the page, start a new chapter, figure out what's ahead of you. Uh, I don't know what's left for this team in this year. I don't know what's left for Patrick Kane this season and then for the for the rest of his career. But it just feels like this is overdue to to just finally have the official separation that has been anticipated and talked about and dreaded and everything else for way too long now. It's been a long time since I've been to a Blackhawks game, and it's probably going to be a long time till I go to a Blackhawks game. But I like this uh, idea of trading Patrick Kane for assets. The team can't really get any worse than they already are, so they, you can almost guarantee that they'll be the worst team in the NHL, which does not guarantee you the first pick in the NHL draft. Mm-hmm. But then Kane, who is going to be a free agent, comes back, and then the Hawks get him back. So you get the assets, you potentially get that top draft pick, and then you get Kane back on the ice. This was a big story in the NHL yesterday. The Rangers made a move for Tarasenko, who is going to make them – very dangerous. He's going to be paired with Artemi Panarin, who Tarasenko tried to get to sign with the Blues in 2015, and they are now reunited. We thought Kane and, Ter- and Panarin had a thing. Tarasenko predates that. Patrick Kane has a hip issue that they probably will has been maybe overstated in terms of why teams are staying away. Maybe that's part of it. He hasn't had great production, but he's on a terrible team. I kind of selfishly hope they keep him, even though I understand the need for assets. 
they're doing a nice job with prospects. The Athletic ranked the Hawks fifth overall in the NHL in terms of having in terms of what prospects they have in the system. They are already bad with or without them. So if you can continue to tank for Connor Bedard and you get him, the thought of Connor Bedard and Patrick Kane on the same line is intriguing to me as a hockey fan. So I get that they might trade him. If they get a one for him, if they get a four, that's great. The Las Vegas Golden Knights now might be in the mix. You look at a team like Carolina, it's still kind of interested. But I don't know about him being traded and coming back. That almost never happens. But if they keep Patrick Kane, I'll understand it if they trade him, but I won't be disappointed if they keep him either because I think Jonathan Taze might be more likely to go once he gets healthy and back on the ice. All right, that is our pick six. We've got the extra point coming on next, but the pick six was brought to you by Finishing Chicago. All great finishes start with finishingchicago.com. Our Super Bowl predictions, that's how we're going to uh, handle the extra point today. It's Mully and Haw. Dan Reeder in for Mully. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 the score. All right, we've heard from all the experts, and we'll hear from a few more even today. But let's hear your Super Bowl prediction with your score and your rationale and, of course, your MVP. Okay, this is easy. Eagles have the most complete roster, I think, that we have seen in a long time. I'm not going to go full Tom Thayer, 85 Bears on you, although I respect where Tom's coming from. That got my attention back in December when he said it the first time. And then you look at it. I love the way they built this team. I do like Jalen Hurts a lot, too. So I am definitely part head, part heart. Fly, Eagles, fly. 31-27. MVP is going to be the pass rush. They can't stop, which is my rationale. This is going to turn into a version of the Chiefs-Buccaneers Super Bowl. The Eagles defense is going to be the story of this game. And Hassan Reddick is going to be the MVP of the Super Bowl. Well, if you're right about that, David, you better get over to uh, FanDuel because that's uh, there's some nice odds on a on a Reddick uh, being the MVP of Super Bowl 57. Um, I got burned a few years ago on this Chiefs Bucks matchup and did not appreciate the defensive line versus the offensive line, and it's something that I pay a lot of attention to, and I just uh, bet with my heart and not my head. And uh, I'm here to tell you I'm going to do it again. Um, I don't need, I don't want, but I will take the one and a half points with the two-time now NFL MVP. Patrick Mahomes can do something this weekend out in Arizona to really put himself in a very, very, very special category. Here's why I think they can beat the Eagles, because I don't think the Eagles are toughened up at all. I think they've had weight. They had a bye. Then they had basically another bye. And then they basically had another bye. And then they had a week off. Okay. I mean, the Chiefs have played some really competitive, tough football games. The Chiefs have been there more recently. than, And I think that it's going to be a tight game. I've got it 28-24 Chiefs because I just can't bet. I I could be wrong. And and David, if I was going to go with the Eagles, it would be for every reason you said. That pass rush versus the um, Chiefs' offensive line. Mahomes is your MVP, but if you're going to invest some money in this game, which almost everybody does, just a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, beer and pizza money is, is uh, our friend Nick Costos would say. Patrick Mahomes over 19 rushing yards, and to David's point, he is going to be under pressure, and he also likes to show off a little bit. Okay, he is going, he will have at least one run of more than 19 yards alone. What I hope doesn't happen when they won the Super Bowl. I had him over rushing yards, and he took he took a knee. He took giant <laughs> steps backwards. I remember that. I lost it by oh a my. yard. Yeah, I, I remember lost that. it by. He didn't just kneel down. Yeah. He took two steps back and then kneel down, yeah. and those count as negative rushing yards. I missed it by one yard. <laughs> I'm gonna go with just like Justin. I mean Justin. Dustin. Wow. My heart, and that's going with the Chiefs. 2017. And the reason why is just because I feel like the Chiefs been here. I feel like they have a better experienced coach in Andy Reid. I just feel like Eagles head coach is going to get a little nervous. You will not disparage my guy, Nick Sirianni. I, I know we've been hyping him up all this week, <laughs> but I, I'm not seeing it yet. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs, 2017, MVP, 
Mahomes. Okay. I'm going to make it a majority. Kansas City Chiefs, really? 27. You Mr. Flip-Flopper. Eagles, I thought 23. I week, flip-flopped. Didn't you say in the Take the North podcast you were leaning toward the Eagles? I did, and I flipped, and I told you. You, you can't do I that to you, me. I can do it, and, I do, and I'm doing it. And, and the rationale oh. and the MVP are the same thing. Okay. It's Patrick Mahomes. When in doubt, go with the quarterback who is the transcendent star. Yes, occasionally you're going to get Eli over Tom Brady. You're going to get a Nick Foles upset. But more often than not, the best quarterback in the game finds a way to pull the magic out in the end, and that's just what happens. I also go back to Chiefs 49ers from a couple years ago, and you saw a team like the Eagles that was rock solid, that had a great game plan, that was in control of the game, that was leading by 10 points with nine minutes to go, and by the time the confetti started raining down, it was a a double-digit Chiefs win because Patrick Mahomes happened and the Chiefs happened, and they were able to find a way. David, you and I have talked about this on the podcast. I think Patrick Mahomes is underrated for the competitive killer streak he has within, with inside himself. And that's going to show itself on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Chiefs, they win it. Patrick Mahomes gets another ring. A lot of great investment opportunities, as Dustin alluded to. And you know what? BetQL, BetQL has correctly predicted 73% of all bets in each of the last two rounds of the NFL postseason. You want to get in on You Better You Bet with Nick Costos. You can also find your opportunities with Best Bets, pro betting trends, line movements, and more. BetQL has correctly predicted money line bets on 78% of Jalen Hurts' career starts. 78%. So you get a three-free-day three trial, and you can try out BetQL worry-free. Get the betting insights you need for Super Bowl 57 with a free three-day trial of BetQL. You can visit BetQL.com to get started. Those are our Super Bowl predictions. A majority has uh, – I, I cannot believe I am in the minority here. I, I'm very surprised at this because of all of the ways that we have described how dominant the Eagles have been. But those are our predictions. I wonder what yours are. 312-644-6767. Or maybe Bulls fans, maybe you just want to vent. We're here for you. We know that being a Bulls fan this morning stinks. Heck, being a Chicago sports fan this morning, not so great. So let us know what you're thinking in reaction to what the Bulls didn't do at the trade deadline, and then what they did do last night in losing to the Nets by hitting five three-pointers while the Nets hit 17. That's a big difference. Dan Weeder's in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I had a purpose before everybody had an opinion. It's not about anybody else. I know y'all like that one. (laughs) I did like that one. Jalen Hurts at the Super Bowl on Thursday. I had a purpose before anyone had an opinion. David Haw, Dan Reeder, it's Mully and Haw. Dan is in for Mully today. Chicago Sports Radio 6-7, the score. We just shared our Super Bowl predictions, and I am frankly shocked that I'm the only one here that picked the Eagles, and I think I will enjoy gloating about that on Monday morning. I, I do. To, be, to be fair, I, I also picked them. I just then flip-flopped. You picked them Monday. <laughs> And then we dropped the podcast on Tuesday. I, I teased that I was, I was, uh, I was, I was. I mean, I almost feel a little duped, and I, because I felt better about my pick that I had had a, had made this pick the moment they won that they, they they haven't been tested. Now that is the best point I think that Dustin brought up. Let's talk about Super Valid, Bowl predictions. Because it's been a while. They have not been challenged. They have not been tested. There could be the. Rust versus rest in terms of the general idea of being in a close game. What does this feel like? Mm-hmm. How will I respond? And Jalen Hurts, who I think is ready to take that next step, this Super Bowl victory will allow him to legitimize much of what we have said about him throughout the course of this year. The only way that doesn't happen is if he's rusty throwing the football because he is also somewhat still coming back from an injury. And maybe he doesn't have the high-volume passing numbers that he may need to beat the Chiefs' defense. They've given him such a wonderful infrastructure in terms of supporting him with a defense that doesn't ask too much of him, giving him an offensive line that makes him comfortable, leaning on his strengths and, and allowing him to understand that good, smart decisions – compounded over and over and over again lead to success. Those are the things that in the Justin Fields formula, you say, man, try to replicate as many of those things as you possibly can 
to get that young man's development pointed in the direction it ultimately needs to go to become a guy that can play on the final Sunday Do of the football season. Do you view Nick Sirianni as an offensive-minded head coach? That, I do. Or is he a head coach who is in charge of morale? No, yeah, I mean, I you know could, what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, I do. Right. When you, when, yeah. you, when you talk about offensive minded head coaches, I think Sean McVay. Yeah, I think Sean Kyle Payton. Shanahan. Yeah. Sean Payton. Guys whose impact is obvious in the way that they design their game plans, tailor their schemes, all of this stuff about them being the smartest football guy in the room. When I see Nick Sirianni, as we have talked about all week, I don't know that I see that, but I think that you would feel it. Right. When he's in the room, because he would be not the, maybe not the smartest guy in the room, but he would be the most charismatic guy and, and, and a guy that can press buttons. Right. And there's yeah. so much of leadership is understanding how and when to push those buttons. He's obviously done a tremendous job of that, uh, particularly this season. And, and, you know, going back to the point of you know, when is the last time that the Eagles were in a game where you were like, oh, this is a high level game where they've had to dig deep. I, I you know, I, they kind of came into Soldier Field bored in December and, you know, they had a claw to get that one, but it was always a feeling like, you know, we can turn this on whenever we need to to get the, the result. Yeah, of course. They led was. the division in moral victories. Of course it was. And then the next week they played uh, the Cowboys, I think the, the Eagles did. And that was the, you know, the game without Jalen Hurts. Obviously he was injured and, and you're, you're running out there with Minshew mania and, and you're making things happen. That may have been the last sort of high level, you know, down to the wire game that they they found themselves in. And so it has been a while. And sometimes it takes a little But think about that a little for a second. Bit. They're so good. No doubt. There's you no doubt question. their ability to be the best. No, yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't Dustin doubt it. Dustin did. I'm just saying that people who were lo- looking for reasons to pick the Chiefs are using that as a big factor and and rationale in, in picking the Chiefs in that because the Eagles have not been challenged. They've been so dominant that they can't beat the team that's going to challenge them the most. I was Which gonna, I get, but I don't know. I was going to save this for the podcast, but there's no uh, problem in, in sharing it twice. Different I, audience. Don't hold back. Every, everything uh, comes back to the 2017 quarterback draft, right? So this, this is how this, <laughs> this ties into the, the Super Bowl, and it's okay, not Matt just Patrick Nagy. Mahomes. Yeah. I'm at a Clemson Pro Day in 2017 doing the homework on Deshaun Watson. The Bears were there. They were watching very closely. They just didn't schedule dinner and all those other things. Anyway, I'm talking to Jordan Palmer, who was, who was coaching Deshaun Watson on the way into that draft, and he said – the reason that Clemson beat Alabama on the final drive of the national t- uh, national championship game was because, of course, they did. Because, of course, that's what Deshaun Watson was going to do. Because the best player in the sport with the ball in his hands in the game's final moments is going to make that play. And then what happens about five weeks later in the NFL? Tom Brady. Okay. He's facing 28-3 to against the Atlanta Falcons. And they come back and win the game. And Jordan Palmer's point was, of course that happened. Because Tom Brady happened. And, of course... The best player with the ball in his hands, with the game on the line in the final game of the season, is going to perform the magic that that creates trophy celebrations and confetti showers and and ring ceremonies. So that's where I got to this week with what I said to you in the last segment about the you know the the ability for Patrick Mahomes to turn it on, even down double digits to a team that is controlling the game midway through the fourth quarter, to then turn that into your own personal trophy case edition. That's where I stand because Patrick Mahomes is going to have the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter on Sunday, and he's going to impact that game in a way that changes history, right? It'll change the result, Eagles or or, or Chiefs, and that's where I lean. I don't doubt anything you said about Patrick Mahomes. The comparison to Brady is a good one. The reference to the way Deshaun Watson did uh, what he did because he was the best player in the field. I just don't think it's going to be close enough to where he's going to get the ball in the final series on the last drive to win the game. I think the Eagles, with their historically good pass rush, with their very complete uh, lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, they're just going to have the margin of victory more comfortable. This may not be a boring Super Bowl, but I think it could be a anticlimactic finish. The other thing I've heard from Patrick Mahomes this week that impresses me and speaks to that that sort of competitive tenacity that, that doesn't get enough acclaim is that that loss to Brady and the Bucks in the Super Bowl stung him. And it stung him deeply in a way where, look, like his first year as a starter, he threw 50 touchdown passes in one league MVP. His second year as a starter, he won a Lombardi trophy. And he got the sense that, hey, 
this is easy. Right. Like, this is just going to be my career. And then there's been some struggle. There's a Super Bowl loss, and then there's a you know a devastating AFC Championship game loss. Oh, to the, everybody the should Bengals struggle to that year. extent. Would you love to have a quarterback I, struggle like that? I would. But the fact that it that it that it cut him deeply and motivated him in the way that it it, it did, I think, gives him a purpose on Sunday that is deeper than. Jalen Hurts has going to that game for the first time and, and and experience it and being like, this is awesome. It's great to be here. Two years ago, no one would have ever imagined me on the Super Bowl stage. He's going there to soak it in. Patrick Mahomes is going there to kill people. He's Kansas City Dan Weeder in for Mully today. <laughs> We're, we have made our Super Bowl predictions. We'll get Brad Biggs's next. It's Biggs time. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 